We're going to be joining in scripture from Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 4 1 in the NIV version. And your Bible's there before you. It's on page 1225. 1225, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, and it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel, the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may be strengthened he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. Well, welcome back again to our series called People of the Way. And this is a series that uh, takes us back 2,000 years, just about, to the very beginnings of our faith. And in the very beginnings of our faith, uh, we we weren't known and didn't call ourselves Christians um, there, you know, the earliest records we have of the term Christian was actually other people calling Christians Christians, and and before that 
we were known as, you know, the way. We called ourselves the way. We referenced ourselves as the way, followers of the way, people of the way. And, and one of the first groups, one of the first gatherings of this people of the way uh, was a church that was planted in Ephesus about 20 years after, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, along with some others, helped to plant this church and establish it there in this prominent city. And, and we're, what we're doing in this series is, is kind of taking a look at the history of that church from its very beginnings all the way through as far as we know. And we know more about this church than we do about any, just about any other in the New Testament, even though we're told about several. With the church in Ephesus, we get several really neat you know, snapshots, if you will, along the way. And, and so, so far, you know, we've talked about how uh, they were, uh, you know, it was, the church was planted there kind of in stages and they kind of got the gospel in stages. And when Paul showed up, he said, oh, great, you've heard about Jesus. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they were like, what Holy Spirit? And so we talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life and how, you know, their faith was not complete until they had that last ingredient, if you will of the gospel recipe. And then we talked about how, man, when the Holy Spirit empowered them to live Jesus' way and to begin living His way, that they radically lived out their faith. And, you know, it was a public change that took place in their life. And it affected their whole community community to the point that in, inside of just two or three years, they had, there was a huge riot throughout this major city uh, because of the, the way that their pagan worship system had been so impacted by the way, by this people of the way. And so we talked about the importance of living our faith, of sharing our faith, of it being a public thing, not just a private thing. And, and so now we, we move forward a little bit, and we're going to talk today about uh, how, how who you are and what you, what you are, you know, who you are and what you do, sorry, who you are and what you do are, are linked together. And just as an example, you know, uh, who I am and, and what I am is linked together too. Like, what if I told you that, uh, that I'm a basketball player? Uh, you might or might not believe me. See, um, you know, I was kind of. I mean, it's been a few years since I even played a pickup game of basketball, and I wasn't very good at it. Uh, but <laughs> I'm sure I scored a couple of points, and then if you go all the way back to ninth grade, I was on a very official team. Yeah, JV, me. <laughs> all right, I even started a couple games, I think. And uh, so, <laughs> I am a, a basketball player. And you might say, "Well, no, no, you're really not." <laughs> you might have been one sort of once upon a time, uh, but you're not a basketball player. What if I told you uh, that that I am? A, uh, I'm an author. All right. Now, you know it's been a while since I've written anything. Uh, it's, I used to write a blog, and it's still kind of out there. But uh, you know, nothing ever like published or anything. But I think I could. You know, I think I could publish something if I just you know applied myself and whatnot. So I you know I could go ahead and call myself an author. And you would say, no, you're not, <laughs> because uh, you don't actually write stuff. You, know? um, you just want to be an author. There's a difference. Uh, and, the, and the last example I'd give you is I'm a genius. Uh, and, and I know this because I took one of those like Facebook IQ tests and it told me I had like a 139, which is the bottom benchmark. 
Uh, but the funny thing was, like, all my friends got 139, you know? Uh, we were all geniuses. Uh, so, and Julie sometimes says, Neil, you're a genius. And so, I must be, right? And, uh, and you would say, no, you might think you're a genius, but that doesn't make you a genius. Because who you are is proved by what you do. And what you do kind of determines who you are. They, they kind of are linked together. And you might say, well, what you are, Neil, is a, is a preacher. And we can see that right now. You're preaching. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. If I'm a preacher, then I need to preach. And if, if I'm preaching, then that makes me a preacher, right? Because <laughs> I'm doing it. And so what we do and, and who we are are linked together. But sometimes what happens in the church, and I guess in other parts of life too, is people say they're one thing, and, and then it's not actually what they do. And it's one of those things where, okay, you say you're this, and, and you might have been that in the past, but right now you're not that. Or... Or you say, you know, kind of like me with the basketball player thing. Or, or you say you're this, but, you know, you may really want to be that, <laughs> but, but you're not doing that right now. Uh, or you might say, well, um, you know, you think you're that, <laughs> but friend, i got to tell you something, you're not. And, and Jesus called this hypocrites, being a hypocrite. And, and in that day, hypocrite was not a bad word like it is today. You have a, a negative, it was just the name that they had for a Greek actor. And the Greek actors, if you're familiar with that at all, they might play several roles in one play. You know, the same actor playing several, and they would just change out masks. And they would hold the mask up, and they would act, and they had these big amphitheaters. Uh, Ephesus, as a matter of fact, had a huge amphitheater. They kept adding on to it. It could seat 25,000 people, and you can still go see it today. Huge. And, and on the stage at the bottom of the amphitheater, you'd have hypocrites. Actors, and, and so Jesus used that term, though, to say some people put up a mask. They say that they're one thing, but their actions prove something else, and their hearts prove something else. And so we want to make sure in the church that who we are is matching up with what we do, right? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. First, about you know who you are, and second, about what you do. And that's what Paul was doing here as well when we look back. And see, but I want to, as we hit this letter of Ephesians, I want to start off where we left off, okay? And where we left off was, you know, with Paul leaving Ephesus back in the book of Acts. And there was that huge riot, and then he said, maybe it's time for me to go <laughs> and uh, go on to the next place. And he had actually already been thinking, I need to go to Jerusalem, and they had been begging him not to go. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 25, we have, this, we have this verse that says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So he had asked the, the leaders at Ephesus to come meet him before he went back to Jerusalem. And that's what he told them. That's kind of, well, that's kind of grim, isn't it? <laughs> I, now I know none of you will ever see me again. And that was, you know, somewhere around 53, 54 A.D. We're not sure the exact date, maybe even 55 A.D. And he went back to Jerusalem, knowing that it meant chains or even death. And then we fast forward a few years, and we have this letter written from Paul to the Ephesians. And we find out that, sure enough, 
He's in chains. He's in prison. Uh, he's in Rome, most likely, and in a either under house arrest or something like that. And, and he's there and he's stuck, but he's right where God wanted him to be. And he said to another church, look, I've learned to be content no matter my situation through Christ who, who gives me strength. And so he writes letters while he's there. Paul was not one to just sit around and read books or something, you know. He, uh, he had to be busy doing something. So if he wasn't witnessing to his guard or whoever he had to listen to there, uh, that had to listen to him, then he was writing letters to the churches that he, had, that he had known, that he had helped plant, and even to churches that he hadn't known. But in this case, here's a church he did know. And we don't know if word reached Paul that, man, the, the Ephesians are kind of falling back into some old habits or or maybe he just knew him well enough to know that he hadn't had time to complete their training and there was more that he needed to tell them about what it meant to live out their faith, to live Jesus' way. They were the people of the way, but they needed to live the way. And so he writes them this letter, the book of Ephesians. Real creative name, right? For the letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. And, and in this letter, he basically wants to tell them about living for Jesus. And in chapters 4 through 6, the last half, you might call it part 2, it's divided into our, our letter, our version of it is divided into 6 chapters. you got 1 through 3, and then you got 4 through 6. It's kind of a part 1 and a part 2. And in part 2, it's full of all kinds of practical just lessons on what it means to live for Jesus. I mean, he talks to them about Christian unity. And how they need to live in brotherly love. He talks to them about how it's important to tell the truth. I mean, these people were coming out of a culture where none of these things were the norm. All right? So he's, he's telling them about it. He's teaching them about the Jesus way. He says, you need to watch your mouth. And make sure that what comes out of your mouth is edifying and not bad language. He talks to them about their tempers. How they need to tame their temper. He talks to them about sexual immorality. He talks to them about greed. He talks to them even about wives and how they should respect their husbands and and husbands and how they should radically love their wives, even though that wasn't the cultural norm in that day, to have that kind of love for your spouse. And he talked to uh, parents about how they should treat their kids and to kids about how they should treat their parents and even to slaves about how they should live in their difficult circumstance. So much practical advice. And so you might ask, well, what in the world did he do for the first half of the letter? (laughs) And most of us would say he was wasting time. Because in in our culture, right, we like to cut to the chase. You know, let's tell me what I need to know. All right. Just just get to the straight shooting stuff. I just just tell me what I need to do. You know, what's all this other stuff? But see, Paul understood that what you do is linked to who you are. And so he spent the first half of this letter saying, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And in the the passage we read today, especially the verse 14 uh, where he, he begins to pray. He tells them, this is what I've been praying for you. 
In fact, he says, I hit my knees in prayer for you. And, and for us, it's like, okay, yeah, lots of people pray on their knees. But in, for him, that was not the norm. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen like, pictures of the, uh, the wailing wall in Jerusalem. But when they pray, in, in the Jewish culture, and the Jewish faith, they stand. Right? You see all those people standing and praying. They might lift their hands in prayer. Uh, if they can't stand, then they sit. You might see a couple of people sitting there at the Wailing Wall, but uh, predominantly they stand. So when Paul said he's hitting his knees, it's a big deal. He's, he's begging on their behalf. He's pleading with God on their behalf. And what he prays in this prayer is really a, a great summary of the whole first half. But what we read in verse 14 through the very beginning of chapter 4 there is like the perfect summary of the whole book and I'm hoping that next spring we're going to take time and just look at this whole book in in greater detail but today we're just getting like an overview a big picture and this prayer gives us a big picture in this prayer we see echoes of what he's been talking to him about remember who you are Remember who you are. Remember how He chose you, how He worked to save you before you could do anything to earn it because you can't earn it. Remember the price that He paid for you. Remember how He's placed His Holy Spirit in you. Remember who you are. Remember that you're one in Christ. Remember how you're foreigners in this world and you're now citizens in Christ's kingdom. Remember who you are. And when we get to this prayer... He prays at least three things, three big prayer requests on his knees before God on their behalf. And it might not be what we would expect. You know, he didn't pray, God help their husbands to be better husbands. God help them to you know, love each other better and, and to act like Christians. Help them to get those tempers under control. Because he knew if they could get the if they could just remember and recognize who they are and whose they are, you know, until that took place, then he could talk to them about what they were supposed to be doing all day long. It wouldn't make much difference. And so the first thing he asked, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through His Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is about the Holy Spirit empowering the believer. This is the first thing that Paul told, taught him when he showed up, right? And, and when they first really got to know Paul. And he, and he showed up in Ephesus and he said, Do you have the Holy Spirit? And here he is a few years later, he's in chains. And the first thing he prays for him is that they would know the power of God, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. They need power. It was like praying that each of them would be like a power reserve, a power bank of God's power. Have you ever seen these things? Um, it's a power bank. And uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. It holds all kinds of power in here. And if I push this button, it tells me that it's full of power. <laughs> and this is nice because if the power goes out, like this winter, if we get an ice storm or something, the power goes down, 
I've still got power. See, and, and we all know this won't run a refrigerator, but, <laughs> but we also know that this will charge a cell phone and the world cannot end as long as we have our smartphones, right? As long as we have a cell phone, we're good. But it's like Paul's praying that each of them would be filled with power. And as Christians, we're to be kind of walking power banks, if you will. And, but there's a reason that he prayed that we, that we would receive power. There's a reason. And we're clued in with his second request that he prayed for. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God is the love of God in Christ Jesus, is the love of our Savior. Not, God, I pray that they'd have power so that they can leap tall buildings in a single bound, so that they can overcome anything life has to throw at them. No, it was, God, give them power because they need your power if they're ever going to comprehend just how much you love them. And then there's the last request. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's like each request builds on the the one before, right? And he says, God, they need power. Give them power by your Holy Spirit. They need power because they need to understand your love. And they need to understand your love so that they're filled to the brim from head to toe, from toe to head, with the fullness of you. That, that you would become their everything. That the, their whole identity would be wrapped up in you. That they would experience and understand that your love is so high and so deep and so wide and so long and that, that your love would come to define them. They'd be filled with all the fullness of God. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. He wanted, Paul wanted Christ to be their whole identity. That they would see themselves as gods, as Christ's, as people of the way, before anything else. High and above anything else. He says, this is who you are. And he says, now live like it. Now live like it. He begins part two of his letter. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, Paul wrote part one of Ephesians because he understood that your identity determines your activity. Your identity determines your activity. If you see yourself you know, as, a, as a rebel, then you're going to do rebellious things, right? If you see yourself uh, as, a, as a father, then you're going to 
show up and be a dad to your kids. If you see yourself as, as a, I don't know, an accountant, <laughs> then, then you're going to punch numbers. You know, if it, your identity, who you are, determines your activity, what you do. He understood that, and so he spent the first half of this letter just driving home the point. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And he wraps it all up with this prayer that he says he pleads on their behalf that God would fill them with power to understand how much they're loved so that they'd be filled with the fullness of God. They'd find all their identity in Him. Because he believed that when they did, that would affect what they did. That who they are and who they understood themselves to be would affect what they did. But he wrote part two. He wrote part two of this letter because he also understood that your activity reveals your identity. This is a two-way street. Who you are and what you do. And, And so he wrote part one because he knew that if they didn't understand who they were, then they would never do those things. But he wrote part two because he understood that what you do reveals who you are. And so he says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live a life worthy of this call. Remember who you are and then live a life that measures up to that. That proves it. Live a life worthy of the calling. This is who you are. Now live like it. That was then and this is now. Here we are 2,000 years later and about 6,000 miles away. What does this mean for us? I want to suggest to you that in this room or listening online, there's basically two groups of people when it comes to this issue of who you are and what you do. There's, There's people here who need to sort out their identity. We need to get the identity piece straight. Because there's a lot of things that we see ourselves as. And maybe Christ is in there somewhere. Maybe He's in the mix. Maybe He's not really so much in the mix. But, you know, probably not at the top. And so we need to get the identity piece right. If, if we asked you, you know, who you are, who are you? If you even asked yourself, who are you? Would Christian come up first? Where on that list? Who are you first and foremost? And so there's some of us who need to get the identity piece down. Because until we do that, We're not going to do the things that a Christian would do, that a person of the way would do. We won't live that way because that's not our identity. And so for some of us today, we need to get that piece right. And I have an assignment for you. If that's you today and you feel like, I I need to get the identity piece right, then I want to challenge you on that little note card to circle Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And I want you to, I want to challenge you. 
this week to go home and to read that prayer, but don't just read it, make it yours. Pray that prayer every day this week. Pray it for you. And feel free to message me or, or, or email me or send me a text or call me or whatever you got to do and, and let me know and I can be praying it with you. But I already pray this prayer for you all sometimes. But pray this prayer. Make it your own. Pray that God would grant you the power to grasp just how big His love is for you so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And you might come to see that that is entirely who you are. You are in Christ and in Christ alone. And then there's the other group of people here today that those of us who, who we would say in a heartbeat, I'm a Christian, that's who I am. But in some ways we need to live up to that identity a little better. If our activity reveals our identity, you know, if our behavior you know, reflects on our beliefs, then, then we need to get going with some of the, the doing part of who we are. You know, we say this is who we are. We need to prove it by what we do. We need to actually live out the things we say we believe. And, and if you feel like that's the camp that more reflects you, that, uh, yeah, you know, I see myself as a Christian. I, I'm all about Jesus, and that's how I identify myself. But, man, I haven't grown in a while, or I haven't... There's some things in my life I need to do better at that aren't very Christ-looking <laughs> right now. Um, so yeah, I've got some work to do there. I want my, the life that I live to better reflect who I am in Christ. And if that's you today, you've got an assignment too, and it's harder. And I think that's appropriate. So your assignment is Ephesians 4 through 6, which is a lot more to read. And I would challenge you to read all of that every day, this week, for a week, chapters 4 through 6, every day, and pray about, God, what of these things that I'm reading do I need to take to heart and work on in my life? Because there's a lot of practical stuff in there that Paul packs into that short section about what it looks like to live for Jesus. And so read through that time and again as many times as you can this week and pray about which of these things do I need to work on in my life and confess that to God and determine by His Spirit's help and relying on Him to do better. To live up to who you are. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You might say, why does all this matter? Some people say, you know, isn't it just about getting saved? Isn't it just about being forgiven and then hanging out until we get to heaven? Uh, why bother with all this stuff, <laughs> you know, of identity and activity? And I mean, you know, I prayed the prayer. I'm good, right? And, and so... Waiting for heaven. And I would submit to you today that if, if you're okay 
with the status quo, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, if you're okay with the way the world is, with the way your life is, with the way our society is, with the way your family is, if it's all good, then I wouldn't worry about it. You know, if you're okay with, with the whole divisiveness that's going on in our culture right now, and, and uh, you know, it's not just a political thing because it ekes into our families, right? I hope none of you had a fallout during Thanksgiving with half your family over Donald Trump or something. But <laughs> we, we, there's, there's divisiveness in our culture. If you're all right with that, then I wouldn't worry about living Jesus' way. There's injustice in our world, all kinds of it. There's the kind that we read in the news and we can't even really hardly identify with it, but then there's kinds that hit closer to home as well. If you're okay with your family drama and stuff that goes on that you know, if you're okay with families that are, are broken and split up and you know, they're passing the kids here and there, and it, if, you know, it's just not great. And if you, but if you're okay with that, and finally, you know, if you're okay with death, there's so much wrong with our world. Some people seem to be okay with it. And I think that they'll be okay with hell too then. Because hell is a broken place. But if you're not okay with it, then the best way to fight all that is by living Jesus' way. Because Jesus was not okay with this. He was not okay with the status quo. And so he taught us a better way. And for every one of us, that chooses to live Jesus' way, we make a difference. We do. It may not be a huge difference. You know, your choosing to live Jesus' way may not put an end to human trafficking. It may not. But it may make a difference. It may put an end to it for one person if you get involved with that fight. You know, you're choosing to live Jesus' way may not fix every broken family, but it might fix your broken family. It might. In a generation or two, it might. Have you ever known someone who completely, I mean, their whole family tree was changed because of one faithful generation that stood up and said, no, I'm going to do it Jesus' way. And so... If you're not okay with the status quo, then living Jesus' way is the best way to combat that. But even more than that, if you just understood how much Jesus loves you, if you understood how He sees you, if you begin to see yourself the way He sees you, if you begin to see yourself as His first and foremost, then there'd be nothing you would rather do than live for Him. So what is it for you today? Do you need to work on your identity? Do you need to work on your activity? Let's just for a second close our eyes and bow our heads and
reflect on this for a moment. And I want to ask if, uh, with nobody you know looking around, if if you would say, Pastor, for me, it's the identity thing, and I need to get that straight in my life, and I need Jesus to be my first, my everything. I need to get that straight in my life because right now I'm trying to be a lot of different things and I just want to be His. If you'd say that that's the biggest deal for you today, would you raise your hand? Yeah. Let me just say a prayer for you. God, I pray for these who've raised their hands and said they want to be more yours. I guess I just pray like Paul did a long time ago, God, that you would fill them with your spirit, empower them to understand how big your love is for them so that they can be filled with all the fullness of God. That they would understand who they are in you. Amen. And if you keep your eyes closed and one more group, if, you, if you'd say today that, man, I need my behavior, my activity to better match up with my identity. If that's where you feel like you're at today, would you also raise your hand? Yeah. It's a lot of us in that camp, too. God, we pray that how we live would better reflect who we are in Christ. That you would challenge us to work on some of the ways in our lives that, you know, the things that, that we're doing and saying and, and the behaviors that we exhibit don't always look like Jesus. And that's a lifelong journey. We understand that. But Holy Spirit, we need your help this week to get a little better at it, to be better representatives of Jesus Christ. God, help our activity to better reflect our identity in you. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.